You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds, that's K-N-O-W-S bleeds, on Instagram at the nosebleeds, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush. And today, a very, very sad day for me and uh, I think Clipper fans all around. Um, but I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how are you doing? Uh, I'm right there with you, man. I feel bad for y'all, man. That that was that was tragic. That was tragic for sure, man. I I'm still in disbelief that it happened again. But give credit to where it is due. Denver wasn't playing no games. Yeah. Well, first things I want to say is like everyone who was hitting me up uh, kind of had to check out last night. It's not really from the noise. The noise doesn't affect me. I just was utterly in shock and in disbelief. I just I was speechless. I can't believe that it happened yet again uh, for the second time and. I think after game five, uh, I was watching it with uh, a few buddies of mine. And I, as, as soon as they kind of blew that lead in game five, and I just was like, I'm getting real Clipper Rockets vibes right now. I don't know why. I just really have Clipper Rocket vibes. And uh, we'll get into the game and the series. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to say I, I just needed some time off of social media and time off of my phone just to get away from uh, sports and kind of just because, you know, for, for me, sports is life, whether I'm playing it or whether I'm watching it, whether I'm talking about it, sports is life for me. And uh, I mean, obviously, I, I'm, I'm going to be a diehard fan of my team. That's never going to change. But when you see your team that you, you kind of psych yourself to think that they're actually cursed because it's happened multiple times. Think about it. 50 years never gone to the conference finals it's quite ridiculous so and especially when when you have the lakers there as well too i mean kind of as a big brother little brother kind of a thing um you know it's just tough you want to see your team succeed then they find a way to choke it and it's just tough so that's why i kind of had to take some time away from my phone um not that i couldn't handle the noise it's just i was literally in utter disbelief uh sad sad day for me and uh Probably one of the actually one of the worst days I would say for me watching sports. That's what it was for me. Um, but yeah, let's get down into it. We had game seven of the second round, Nuggets versus Clippers. Um, like I mentioned, Clippers chokes a three-one lead yet again. I, I have nothing to say, yet I have so much to say at the same time. That that there's just my my head has been going hundred miles an hour. Um, kind of had to sleep on it uh, before I could talk about this on the podcast. But first off, I do want to congratulate the Nuggets. Glad they're moving on to the Western Conference Finals. Jamal Murray, Jokic, hell of a duo. But I think that that was already a fact. And if anything, they deserve to win the championship this year just off of their sheer determination and fight. But will they do so? We'll talk about it in in the next round matchup, which we'll get to later in the episode. But yeah, the Nuggets, shout out to them. Shout out to Mike Malone. Um, Just 
all around that team deserved to win. They were the better team. Uh, and, and, and that's all I have to say about the Nuggets. Corey, you want to say anything? Um, I just think the biggest thing that I felt was the difference between the Nuggets we saw in the first four games versus the Nuggets that we saw in the remaining games was just they finally realized, hey, we have the advantage, and it's with our center in Jokic because Zubak can't guard him, and, and Montrez Harold is undersized. So he can shoot over Harold, he can drive past Zubak, and he was just utterly unstoppable in game seven. The Clippers just had no answer for him. And I had to give him credit because I'll be honest, I've been thinking in my head, when is this dude going to finally have his moment? When is he finally going to do something for me to finally be like, all this talk of this dude being the top player in the league and being, you know, compared to, you know, you know, players like Larry Bird and this, this, that, and the third, I'm just like, I don't see it because I don't think he has that dog in him. And I'm like, yo, in the first couple of games, he was getting bullied by Montrez Harold, and even at times Marquise Morris. I mean, Marcus Morris. So I just, I just don't. I, I just think that he has to be that consistent player the entire series. And the problem has been he hasn't in the first round, in the second round. And we'll see what happens in this next round against the Lakers because he cannot afford to allow his team to get down 3-1 again against a team like the Lakers and LeBron. So he has to come out and play right from the get-go as hard as he did and make sure that he sets the tone, him and Jamal Murray, whoever is there to to be his number two, because sometimes we saw Murray didn't really have the best of series throughout the course of this round. So I just think all around the Nuggets stepped up their defense. Also, the Clippers missed a lot of shots going down the stretch. They blew a lot of leads that they probably should have closed out. And overall, I think that what it came down to was at the end of the day, the, the Nuggets uh, – in some ways, look more like they've played together as a team, more like a cohesive unit, whereas the Clippers were relying so heavily on Kawhi or PG that at times uh, the others just weren't there to be able to provide that same spark and that same level of energy to be right up there, to be right there to 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 challenge the the, the Nuggets and Denver. Like you said, credit to them. They took full advantage, and they never gave up. They never held disbelief. Even when they got down 3-1, they still believed in themselves. And, I mean, it's it's just remarkable that this team is out here doing something that we've never seen before, winning back-to-back series after trailing 3-1. It's never happened until now. And it just seems as if, like, the Clippers, in games in which they should have – closed out they just couldn't they couldn't do it for whatever reason and i think this will this will be a referendum on Kawhi, paul george and of course doc rivers yeah uh, i i think for Jokic, uh, i i had Embiid as my best center in the league but after watching him this series especially game seven really forcing to push my hand to make him the best center in the league and i think 
If he, yeah, he's like one A, one B now. Because yeah. before I thought it was just completely just Joel is just far away better. But the way that Jokic was able to 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 dominate down the stretch was just phenomenal. Yeah, and I mean, I'm pretty sure this is what a lot of people are tuning into this episode for is for me to go in on the Clippers, which I will. Don't worry. I'm going to make my money's worth on this one. But um, as for the Clippers, first off, I'm going to start by saying fire Doc Rivers, get him the fuck out of LA. Um, I'm, I'm dead serious. Get him out. Uh, I said this uh, in when we had our series predictions, I said the X factor for the Clippers is going to be Doc Rivers. It's going to be the coaching. That's what it's going to come down to. And I swear, I'm just so sick and tired of him. I, I don't give a shit if he's a great locker room coach because he can't. He doesn't know how to coach on the fly, and he doesn't know how to rotate players that are beneficial for the matchups. This is the second time he's blown a three-one lead for the Clippers. He, we, we, they blew one against the Rockets. Uh, they blew one now against the Nuggets, and he even blew one I think way back when when he was with the Pistons. No, when, when he was with the Magic, yeah. Or sorry, with the, Magic, with the Magic when they played yeah, the Pistons. Yeah. 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 Um. I mean, his rotations have just been god-awful. I mean, first of all, Game 7, Zubak played 14 minutes. Isn't this the guy you were raving about in the series against Dallas, talking about how he's improved so much? Get this stat. In the 169 minutes that Zubak was on the court against Jokic this series, the Clippers outscored the Nuggets 27 points. In the 96 minutes that Zubak was off the court and Jokic was on, the Nuggets outscored the Clippers 50 points. Want a crazier stat? 44 out of those 96 minutes came in the last three games that Denver outscored the Clippers 50 in, in at that time. So that's a plus 50 for Denver. Literally all in the last three games, and Doc Rivers decided not to change a single thing up. Not once. So it, it just doesn't – I don't get it. And then this game seven. You want to talk about this game seven? Nuggets out-rebounded the Clippers 53-37. to 37. Jokic had 22 rebounds. Yet you want to play your best rebounder only 14 minutes a game. And then on top of that, you play Reggie Jackson, Bobby freaking Schmerta. You play him four minutes in the game. And in the four minutes that he was in the game, he was a minus nine. How is that even possible? And <laughs> – like it, it makes no sense, and then, and then he him just having Trez out there the whole time. The last three games was just getting on my last nerves. I mean, I know I get he's the sixth man of the year, but Jokic was licking his chops at him all series long. Trez and Jokic head to head last three games, they played thirty five minutes against each other, and the Clippers were outscored forty seven points in those games. Yet Doc that's decided that's to, the game right there. That's the exactly. game right there. Doc decided to still ride with him. I, I don't get it. And then game seven, talking about Lou Will going three for eleven, PG thirteen going four for sixteen, and Kawhi going six for twenty-two. Um, for Kawhi, I'm not gonna get into him quite frankly, because his back couldn't take it anymore off the sorry ass team. Um, he carried them this far. There's only so much he can do. Um, I know we talked about him possibly being the best player in the world. He just did not show up this game, which is going to be a big knock on his resume. But I still think, you know, given what we, – we can't just take one game and, mm-hmm. and kind of just diminish everything else he did in the playoffs because if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't even be out of the damn first round. So Yeah, that's very true. PG-13, Clippers give up five first-round picks to get you, and you made less than five field goals. So we gave up more picks – then you made field goals in game seven. It's it's sickening. I mean, and this is solely talking about his play on the court. Whatever he's going through off the court, I wholeheartedly feel for him. Um, because at the end of the day, these guys are still human. Um, 
But I mean, when it comes to work, you got to get the job done and you didn't get it done. Got to come to play. And uh, Lou Will, I mean, Lemon Pepper Lou. I, I love Lou Will, but the, my guy, you're a liability on defense, and but you're played because you're such an offensive weapon. You hadn't done shit all playoffs long besides game five against the Mavericks. Other than that, you, you were just a normal role player. You weren't six-man Lou Will, and I, I don't know. It, it was just bad. He, we, the Clippers were getting outplayed by every single bench they they saw when it was Mavericks and uh, the Nuggets. And then <laughs> this baffles me so much. Marcus Morris played eight minutes and 48 seconds in the second half. The guy who was arguably the second-best player in the series for the Clippers last year, solid defender and a bucket getter this series. I mean, only plays le- less than nine minutes out of the 24 minutes in the second half. Makes no sense to me. Jamichael and also, he was an enforcer for them, like, throughout the course of the playoffs. So, I mean, he kind of had that intimidator factor about him where, like, he could kind of rattle the, the other team a little bit. Well, I don't think they got I rattled. I felt like Paul- it was going to be a – Paul Millsap, when he tried to get in his head, Paul Millsap came back and answered with 13 points in the third quarter. Facts. But, I mean, at the same time, I felt, I felt like he was going to be – him and Trez, I felt like we're going to be that, especially on Jokic, like the like how they kind of were on uh, Luka Doncic. But I don't know, man. I, I just felt like Goon Squad didn't come out to play. And yeah. I felt like it just didn't work this time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think also Jermichael Green, he's – the only one who I really can't say anything about because he played the best out of the pack this uh, game seven. Actually, I take that back. Pat Bev did. For for all the people that talk shit about Pat Bev for just running around and not doing anything, either they don't watch basketball or they're just casuals or they're just, you know, social media gets to them. Because if you don't see what Pat Bev does on the court, then I I, I don't know what to tell you. Just that you don't watch basketball. Um, so, I mean, pretty much all in all, my statement stands as fires Doc Rivers, sorry ass. Um, get him out. I just don't think he, he's such an overrated coach in my eyes. I, I, I've, I've thought about that. Like, yes, he got a championship with Boston, but with the Clippers, I mean, you had Lob City Clippers were up 3-1, choked that. Now this is arguably the best team in Clippers franchise history, and you choked a 3-1 lead. So, I mean, at what point are we going to start pointing the finger at Doc Rivers and, you know, not Paul George, not Kawhi? Because uh, think about it. I mean, I know we were scoreless or we didn't get a single field goal until, what, seven minutes into the fourth quarter. But at the same time, I think the Nuggets were, what, only two for 12 or or three for 11, something like that. So it's like we played great defensively, but, like, but when your guys aren't working, you got to do something else. And I just also feel like, Doc Rivers is the type of guy who's just like, okay, give it a Kawhi, let him play pick and roll. Okay, give it a Paul George, let him play pick and roll, give him an ISO. Like, there's no real set plays that are run for them. And I think that's why the Clippers were unsuccessful. Yeah, I think with Doc Rivers, you kind of – you kind of – because you have to think about – I'm thinking back to that team that he won a championship with. You had KG, who was a veteran – you had Ray Allen, who's a veteran. You had Paul Pierce, who's a veteran. And you had all three of those guys who pretty much were desperate to win a championship. All three of them were desperate to win a championship. So while, yes, Doc was the coach, and while, yes, Doc was, you know, coaching the team, those guys were the coaches on the court. Those guys were the leaders of the locker room. Those guys, when somebody wasn't, wasn't pulling up their part, they got in guys' faces. 
Not even that. You can't even forget about Rondo. I think the thing with same thing, yeah, Rondo. Too. I think the thing with Doc Rivers and like you know, you look at Mike D'Antoni how they uh split it ways with the Rockets. I think they need that floor general on the court in order to win basketball games. Doc Rivers had that in Rondo. I mean, he had that in CP3, but CP3 would just either get injured or Blake Griffin would get injured. They were cursed with injuries then. Um, D'Antoni, same thing, had Steve Nash in Phoenix, uh, was that floor general, and now the Rockets had um, James Harden as that floor general. But, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. You can only bank on that so much, and you actually have to use your coaching after yeah. a certain while. So, yeah, and, and I just think that, like, the, the kind of difference maker is that, like, they're just missing the teams that, like, like you said, like with the Rockets and with the uh, the uh, the Clippers. I think they were just m- missing that vocalized person. Like, if if Traymond Green was maybe on the Clippers, I I just I, I don't know if they blow that three one lead because I feel like Draymond would have done something. He would have put some. He would have put players in check. That, that's what I that and that and so, and I don't I don't really know if. You're the head of your snake, Kawhi or Paul George, do that, or if they're vocal like that, or if there's somebody that's like, hey, you need to start playing, or hey, you need to start, you know, getting – I don't know who that is in the Clippers locker room. Maybe it's Pat Bev. Maybe it's Pat Bev. But, but see, the uh, thing is, is – I just like don't you- know who that person is that legitimately everybody will look at and be like, yeah, he's right. We, we, we need to start playing. We need to start see, getting our stuff together. See, the thing is, Kawhi, not very talkative. Paul right. George, I think he's going through stuff off the court that he doesn't really want to talk or, or say something uh, uh, on the court in the locker room. And I think Lou Will, Pat Bev, Montrez, those guys that I think normally would probably speak up, is like, okay, we have two superstars on our hands. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, the front office said, you know, treat these guys as superstars. Don't try to stir anything up in the locker room because you know what I'm saying? Like it might get disgruntled and just make for bad team chemistry and all that, which I think they were already bad team chemistry in general. It just looked bad. Um, it, it just looked like last year, Trez, uh, Lou Will, and, and Pat Bev. I mean, those three guys right there were having the time of their lives, even though they got, beat by the Warriors 4-2 in the yeah, series. There was no ex- expectations. Exactly. And and these you guys get, could play get, basketball yeah. for the fun of it, and they literally were showing the world how great those those guys were. But then now you bring in two superstars, and now you have a gigantic weight of expectations on your shoulders, and you have to make sure that either Doc is saying it to them or whoever, which is make sure you get these guys the ball. Like, I know you guys were balling last year with the ball in your hand so many times, but these guys are a superstar. Make sure you get them the ball. Yeah, and I think that things just didn't play into the Clippers' hands this season. They didn't get the full opportunity to be able to play with their star players, which I know a lot of people might say, like, oh, that doesn't really matter. I mean, because pandemic and, you know, they got enough rest and stuff like that. But they really honestly didn't get a whole lot of time throughout the course of the season to play, to have these guys all play together. And then when they got into the bubble, Kawhi was having his early season, his early struggles. Um, Paul George was kind of carrying the load a little bit. And it just felt like it was either like rely on somebody to score so that way we can win instead of hang our hat on what we normally do, which is like you said, defense, which 
wasn't the 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 the, the determining factor of this series. It was the the offensive end. And like you said, if things are not working on the offensive end, you have to change things up. So I think injuries, not playing enough, Doc Rivers, and a lot of just all that, all that throughout the course of this season built up to this point that we saw in game seven. And they just, they just collapsed and they, and they, and they ultimately became the typical Clippers that we've come to know as a franchise, a team that is so close, but hasn't just been able to get over the line. But the key thing that I think going into this offseason for the Clippers is they have to evaluate what they're going to do with Doc Rivers because they don't have to necessarily fire him. They, I mean, I they just extended after, him, I think, two years ago. Right, exactly. Because so you kind of have to think, like, we just extended this guy. Do we want to get rid of him? And then, you, you know, I think also if you get rid of him, who do you bring in then that's going to be able to not – completely change everything but change things in a way that provides better structure because i think like you said it things are just a little too helter skelter under doc rivers and i think you have two coach two good coaches as assistants that could mm-hmm. maybe be uh head coaches in either sam cassell or tyron Lou. so i don't think you necessarily have to go out and look for a big time coach because honestly, I think those are two good coaching candidates right there. I mean, they're not the sexy, flashy, big names that anybody might be, you know, wanting to get in there to replace Doc. But I think those are two good, solid guys who have been in that locker room, know the player, know the player personnel already. And if you promote from the inside, you'll already garner the respect from the players, I think. And especially if you go with Tyron Lee, you have a guy who's been to the NBA Finals, has coached LeBron James, so he knows how to deal with that those, those star personalities. And for the most part, was getting in LeBron's face, wasn't backing down, was telling him to play better. And, and I think that's something that maybe Kawhi needs, maybe Paul George needs, maybe this whole team needs. Because like I said, I don't know what gets said by, by Doc when they're in the locker room. I don't know what he's telling them when they're, when they're in the huddle and, and they're down and they're losing and they're trying to get back into a game. And, and I just feel like another thing also is what will their off-season acquisitions look like? Because uh, I know that they, they, they don't have a whole lot of room as far as, you know, maybe to make a trade or anything like that because they're so top-heavy. But are they willing to maybe – let one of their key role players go away and try to bring in somebody new, or do they try to bring back this group again and try to see what they can do with them next season? That those are some of the questions that I have because that'll be very interesting to see if the Clippers kind of just decide to go come back with this team again and uh, try to go a step further and get to the Western Conference Finals and try to win a championship. Well, I mean, in in terms of this, or in terms of coaching, first of all. I think Tyron Lue would be an amazing candidate because I even remember Doc Rivers saying against the Mavericks, he was basically saying, I didn't have an answer to stop Luka. I literally had to turn to Ty Lue and he had to come up with a game plan to stop Luka in order for us to win this series. And I'm just like, <laughs> at first, I'm just like, well, aren't you the head coach, first of all? Like, come on. But I mean, that just goes Assistants to Assistants do do that a lot of times. Assistants. No, I, yeah, I, I, I get that, but I'm just – I, I I can go I can go on for days and days about Doc Rivers, but I'm not going to. But um, 
yeah, as for the future of this team, I have a feeling they will lose probably one or two key role players. Um, depend well, depending on how much Montrez Harrell wants in free agency, I think it will be hard to re-sign him. He's 26 years old, coming off six man of the year. I think he's going to be offered somewhere around 17 to 20 million a year. Um, and I think a team like I don't know, maybe the Charlotte Hornets. Or something. I was low key thinking that same thing. Tell me, I was like, oh yeah, Charlotte probably will. Yeah. At him or something like that. I mean, they threw a bag at Bismack Biombo, so that exactly. shit kind of. I mean, like, it's not hard to believe that they would maybe throw a bag at Montrezl Harrell too. So yeah, I, I could see a team like him, or even maybe even the Rockets, if they decide they'd want to do small ball again. I think Trez would be good for that small ball lineup. Um, uh, Marcus Morris. Uh, I mean, although he has a rep for being a hothead and quote unquote a dirty player. I still think he's a great NBA player. Uh, I think he fits perfectly with this Clippers team alongside Kawhi and Paul George. He made $15 million last year. I think he'll be getting somewhere around that, maybe a little more next year. Um, don't know if that will be the Clippers or another team, but if the Clippers do lose him, that's going to be a big, big loss. Um, Jermichael Green has a player option of $5 million. Whether he accepts it or not, the Clippers have to bring this guy back. I think he is so underrated and so undervalued in this Clippers team, especially if they lose Montrez Harold. Um, so I, I definitely think they need to bring him back. And then uh, Reggie Jackson, just just let him walk. Please let Bobby Schmurter walk. I, I, I don't want to see him. In the Do you think crazy. that the Clippers need to go out and get a big man? Because, like you said, they are kind of undersized, and they did have struggles – you know, come up against teams that had elite bigs and even going up against the, the Lakers at times, AD kind of carved them up. Um, I know Zubak, like you said, is your best rebounder and he is the starter. But do you feel like, you know, if you move him to like a backup position and try to get like somebody who's been like a starter in the league and established, uh, not even like a star player, but like a, a role player, do you think that that can maybe – I think that's going to be a huge benefactor. Well, first of all, I think no matter who coaches, whether it's Doc or whether it's someone else, Zubak needs to play a lot, lot more. He's very, very undervalued, um, even though they hype him up so much, which makes no sense to me. Um, And as for a backup big man, I I think this offseason when the Lakers got uh, Dwight Howard, I was really bummed because I wanted the Clippers to go after Dwight Howard, especially if since the Lakers got him on a veteran minimum. I was like, damn, that was an amazing signing for them. So someone like, I mean, a Dwight Howard, I don't know if he stays there, or JaVale McGee, if he stays there. Um, I just, the Clippers need a big man who's going to roll and isn't stagnant, kind of like how Montrezl Earl was. And I think in post-game interviews, Kawhi didn't necessarily call out someone, but he was just saying, you know, when I'm getting double teamed and stuff like that, it's very stagnant. And I think, I think this is very, um, I mean, detective kush right here but i think this is he's talking about montrez harrell so i i think you just need a big man who plays the solid big man role and not tries to stretch the floor and tries to take other big man on iso so a guy like you know dwight or uh someone like that or i i, I would say hassan whiteside but i just think hassan whiteside's oh, effort too much money probably that too and i just think his effort is contingent oh, on himself if yeah. he wants to play, he'll play. If he doesn't want to play, he won't play. And it's like, you can't have that type of player. Yeah. So, and and especially if he's coming off the bench like he was in Portland, like, there's no way he's going to have any incentive to play because he's like, I'm not starting. What do I need to play for? Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, I definitely do think they need a solid backup big man um, who can guard the perimeter. I think Jamichael Green is a great big man. Only problem I have with him is his interior defense. 
Um, rebounding, he's great. Uh, shooting the three, he's great. Getting to the basket, he's great. But yeah, just interior defense is what they would need. Um, so yeah, I definitely do think they need that backup big man. I think they need that, you know, an, another point guard. Like Pat Bev is great, but I think having that other point guard, whether it's it, it or actually they have Lou Will, so I have no problem with that either. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it for the for that's all I have for the Clippers. I don't think they will blow this team up at all, but I think they will lose some key role players and uh we'll have to go out in the market and get more key role players. I agree with you completely. All right, let's move on to the conference finals. We have uh let's start off with the West since we already talked about them. We got the Lakers and the Nuggets. Um I mean, I haven't really been able to sit down and look at this series too much just because everything that happened. Um, but, uh, I mean, Lakers, let's start off with them. They steamrolled their way to the through the first two rounds, winning 4-1 both series. Um, me, personally, I genuinely think that this is going to be a great series if the Nuggets have any fuel left in the tank. I mean, we said that last series, um, them coming back 3-1 against the Jazz and – it looked like they were out of fuel, but then lo and behold, they come back 3-1 against the Clippers too. So, I mean, but but the Lakers are not the Clippers. I think the Lakers will. And the biggest thing that the, the Clippers struggled with is getting rebounds. And the Lakers, that is their last of worries when you have a big man like AD. You have Dwight Howard. You have JaVale McGee. So, um, only thing for Alex me. Caruso. Even Caruso be getting rebounds too. Yeah, I mean, only thing for me is is if AD's battling injuries, that's when the question mark can come. And I don't – obviously, I'm not wishing glass an injury man. or anything. But, yeah, like Corey said, he's glass man. Um, I don't think the Lakers bench bigs will be able to handle Jokic. No way. Um, no so way. If AD is no battling way. injuries, it's going to be tough. And then as for Jamal Murray, we saw the Clippers contain him up until game seven. So, I mean, with Danny Green, Caruso, Rondo, I think they, they shouldn't have a problem with him uh frank vogel's a very defensive-minded head coach so i don't think they they should really have a tough time game planning for for those two um as for lebron lebron's gonna be lebron um doesn't matter who you throw on him i think yeah i think it's probably gonna be jeremy grant i was just about to say that i was like or i mean or tory craig but tory craig's a little undersized for him yeah so it's gonna Um, be grant and i think if he gets in foul trouble the nuggets are in big big trouble yeah um I'm also interested to see how the how the bench of the Nuggets play versus the Lakers bench because I think Facts. that the Nuggets bench, I mean, it's pretty even. If Michael Porter can play the you know to to his expectations of what he did, uh, wanting the ball and <laughs> demanding yeah. the ball like you say, I gotta get. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. I mean, first of all, he should have done that behind closed doors. But at the second time, like he's not wrong. Hey, maybe if you hey. Maybe it fueled a fire. Maybe they was like, Maybe. yo, don't, don't ever say that. Sh- don't ever say that stuff again. Don't ever say that again in front of the media. And, they, and he was like, all right, all right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Michael Porter Jr. is great offensively, but such a liability defensively. So it's kind of like you have to pick your poison if you're Mike Malone. Um, and then uh, I think Plumlee, I, I, think, I think he'll be able to hang with the Lakers bigs, his bench, the bench bigs. I, think I always with- thought he was so underrated. It's because – People I'm forget about his Portland. his time in Portland. Portland. Yeah, yeah. yeah, when he was at Portland, I felt like he was a solid big for them uh, because he would always, you know, make something happen. Um, whether it was diving to the rim off of pick and roll, catching lobs, whatever. But Plumlee was was solid. I guess 
the only thing that worries me is will he do something goofy because he's prone to that sometimes mm-hmm. i'm like bro you gotta start with the goofy stuff but i mean he's going up against javel mcgee and dwight equally uh, goofy stuff they do equally he, as goofy, goofy. Stuff, so. yeah yeah so it's the so battle of the be, goofs yeah we'll 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 see because they i against this Lakers team you cannot run an undersized lineup it's just not gonna work you saw that against the rockets you've seen that against the last two games against the clippers so um well we'll, we'll see uh and i isn't it crazy how Plummy was traded for Nurkic, and it's like Nurkic and Jokic were on the same team like that yeah they were that yeah, just blows my mind. Well, Nurkic was starting over him, and then they finally mm-hmm. were like, all right, we'll give the reins to Jokic. And they made swap, and they were like, yeah. And the rest was history. <laughs> so. And then for the Nuggets, I also think Monty Morris could be beneficial off the bench for the Nuggets just because, I mean, I think Jamal Murray's going to be They're absolutely gassed way. with the amount of defenders that are thrown at him. Right. Um, so that's why I think Monte Morris is going to be big in this series in, in order to come onto the court and take the ball uh, in his hands. And then – Gary Harris, I mean, when he first came back uh, against the Jazz, he didn't look good, but he looked good defensively. Against the Clippers, he looked amazing offensively and defensively. So if that's the Gary Harris that the, the Nuggets if are going to get. he doesn't come back, they might be gone because I feel like the Jazz was giving them fits before he came back as well. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if we get the Clippers, Gary Harris, then uh, I, I think. Yeah, that'd be a, a, a big-time addition to that yeah. team. That'd be almost as good as like getting like an Avery Bradley. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think he. So, I, I rate Gary Harris that high. I feel like he's that. No, I, I think he is too. I just think I think he has higher expectations than Avery Bradley, but he hasn't played up to expectations, which is why so many people have written him off. But I mean, the way he played and, against and, and the Clippers and is, I think, what everybody expected from Gary Harris, and I mean, right. shows that he still has it. So we'll see if he can do that against the the, the Lakers. Um, but all in all, uh, my predictions, I think Lakers are going to win in six just because I, was I just thinking that too. I, I just think the Nuggets won't seconds. have a lot left in the tank. But then again, that's what we said last series and lo and behold, but I, I just don't think the Lakers um, are capable of blowing that a lead of such magnitude. So you, you have uh, Lakers in six as well, Corey Lakers in six as well. I'll say this though. If Denver finds a way to beat the Lakers, this might be the greatest postseason run we've ever seen ever like talking about coming back 3-1 against the Jazz who have Donovan Mitchell who was averaging over 35 points that series coming back against a a two-time NBA champion NBA MVP and Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers and then take out LeBron in the Lakers in the conference finals like yo if Denver somehow ends up in the NBA finals not saying they will not saying they will, but somehow, some way, if they find themselves in the NBA Finals, this might be the greatest postseason run we might ever witness in NBA history. And it's in the bubble. So, I mean, the bubble has really created a ultimate equalizer, if you will, because there is no home court advantage. There's no way for uh, teams that are considered like the top seeds, like we've seen with Toronto, we see with Milwaukee to be able to have any sort of advantage over these teams that a lot of people you would say didn't expect to be here. Like not, I don't think a lot of people had either Boston or Miami get into the conference finals. I don't think a lot of people had the nuggets in the conference finals over the Clippers. So I, I just think that 
the bubble has really allowed these teams to be able to uh, have a, a chance instead of, you know, because that crowd makes a difference, man. When you're down yeah. and, and the crowd is going and you're looking up at that score and you're thinking, like, how are we going to get back into it? That's tough. But when you just – it's just you and your teammates and it's against the other guys and it's the only the referees there, it's like – we got to get this. And I know like there's a few like, you know, family there and stuff like that, but come on now. It's way different if there's like a, a, a at least like over thousands of people cheering and screaming and going crazy. So I think that the, like I said, if the Nuggets beat the Lakers, this might be the greatest postseason run we've seen out of a team in NBA history. And I'm really excited to see this Eastern conference finals just because I feel like there's equal opportunity here for either of these teams to get to the finals. And I think that if either of these teams get to the finals, it's going to be interesting to see how they match up against their Western Conference opponent because they're kind of going with a small ball sort of team. And we talked about it like with the Nuggets and the Lakers, they kind of have, you know, uh, more of a traditional team of like having big men and, uh, having guys that can maybe, you know, go down inside as well. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, it will be interesting. Um, but, yeah, we both got Lakers in six. We'll see what happens. All right, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. We got the Heat versus the Celtics. They played game one on Tuesday. The Heat won 117 to 114 in overtime. And uh, if that's any indicator of how this series is going to go, sign me up. This could be a series for the ages. Um, we saw Jimmy Buckets and Jason Tatum going back and forth pretty much with one another. And then, obviously, I think the play of the playoffs so far that we'll be remembering is big Bam Adebayo blocking Jason Tatum um, to take the lead. And, damn, that was a block. That's that's why I had him most improved. I think Brandon Ingram is definitely deserving of most improved. But, damn, Bam, just the leap he took – from last year to this year, I, I still think he should have won most improved player, especially where he was drafted. Like Brandon Ingram kind of had this expectation over him being drafted number two by the Lakers. Bam Adebayo coming out of Kentucky really didn't have a lot of expectations around him, especially. I was thinking he was going to be like a shorter, like Willie Collins Stein type of dude, like a, somebody who kind of protects the rim and is kind of like, you know, more of a defensive player, but his offensive game is no joke. Like he's really yeah, exactly. come around with that offensive game. And I've been like, just mi- mystified at the fact that this man has, has, has this all around game. Now I'm just like, what? I what? think after Jokic, you could, you could, after Jokic, you could argue that he's probably the next best passing big man in the league. I mean, you could say Blake Griffin, but Blake Griffin has been injured so many times that I, I think, you don't really know what you're going to get with Blake Griffin anymore, which is sad to say. But, um, yeah, I think Bam just took that gigantic leap. But let's yeah. talk about this series. Um, I think this this series is such a coin flip. <laughs> and mm-hmm. whichever team really moves on is more than deserving of it. Um, and uh, what's surprising about this series is that we don't have the typical superstar duos or trios in this series. Um, but, I mean, obviously nothing in the playoffs have been traditional <laughs> as we've mm-hmm. been seeing. Um, but, yeah, this series is going to be – full of team play chemistry will be on the backs of their role players. And I think you have two great, great head coaches going at it. You have the veteran and proven Eric Spolstra versus the young and promising Brad Stevens. 
So I, what's your take on this series? I feel like this series, um, it, it, I'm just, let me start off from the Celtics perspective. So you come off taking out the defending champs in game seven. And I feel like that was a huge, huge victory just to get to the conference finals again. But what we've been talking about with the Celtics is the past few, well, at least for me, what I've been noticing with the Celtics is that the past few seasons or so, I want to say maybe like the last four or five seasons or so, they've gotten to this point, but they just haven't been able to get that one step further. And that's to the NBA finals. And you bet, you bet Brad Stevens is itching, scratching. He's been pretty much like like a crackhead on the corner, like, yo, I got to get to the finals, yo. I got to get to the finals. So I need to see Brad Stevens have that fire in him. I know you don't really typically see it, and maybe we don't Maybe we just don't see it because, like, the cameras don't always be on Brad Stevens. But me and my dad were talking about it. Like, sometimes Brad Stevens kind of lets bad calls just – he just lets referees just get away with making bad calls. And he doesn't, like, say anything or he doesn't get – demonstrative with the referees or do anything like that I know that's maybe not his character but sometimes you just gotta let a referee know like hey man you kind of you kind of screwed us with that one you got you kind of screwed us there like you make get us with a makeup call at least sometimes sometimes as a coach you just have to get that technical foul to show your, that's what I'm to saying. assert your dominance you just kind of like, say like yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you can't get away with murder with this team like I'm I'm here and I will argue with you and if you have to team me up team me up yeah, then Tony be literally begging to get tech mm-hmm. teed up sometimes. And the referees even know it. They'll be like, oh, he's just yelling. He's just yelling again. But, nah, I, I just think that this is – this. I don't want to say this is make or break for, for Brad Stevens, but how many times are you going to get to this point and not get over the hump? How many times are you going to be able to get to the conference finals and then it's like, oh, we took a team to seven or, oh, we pushed them. And, you know, you're just getting closer and closer and closer. But you got to – finally be the bride instead of the bridesmaid man i think this is the opportunity the celtics have been itching scratching for they don't have to come against Giannis and the bucks they 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 were able to get a favorable matchup an even keel matchup with the heat which i think was tremendous and now on the heat's end of the spectrum you just took out uh the number one overall seed you took out Giannis. you took out the bucks um you've been i think they're they're They've only lost what? I think one game so far in the playoffs. They lost one yeah, game one. In the playoffs so far. So by all intensive purposes, they look they they are, I guess you could say, numbers wise, the better team as far as like, you know, they they've only lost one game. They look like a better cohesive unit. They look like a better, I think, defensive unit. And I think the thing that might separate them is the fact that you have multiple guys who can go and get you a bucket Duncan Robinson Tyler Hero uh Jay Crowder be sitting there in the corner or just be waiting to hit like a wide open Jay you got also you know we mentioned him Jimmy Butler Bam Adebayo and just all there's whole starting five can be able to average double figures their entire starting five whereas on the opposite end it's heavily reliant on Tatum. It's heavily reliant on Brown. It's heavily reliant on Kemba. And if two of those guys don't show up, it's, it's, it's a lot on one guy to try to keep you in one game. And I think that they can't get so focused in on playing ISO ball. They have to run more set plays, get other guys involved, 
try to get down low, um, maybe get Robert Williams involved a little bit, uh, get him some minutes so he can bang down low with Adebayo because Tice is a nice little role player, but I just don't think that he can hang with uh, Bam. I think that also they're going to need to see some good production from their others and the guys who really haven't uh, had a whole lot of, uh, of, of, of minutes off the bench as well. And I think the key thing is, is when is Gordon Hayward going to be able to at some point feature in this series? Because if he's able to feature at any point in this series, he could be the X factor and he could be the difference between the Celtics winning and the Celtics losing this series. I think he's that key because you can maybe have him guard Jimmy Butler. You can uh, uh, maybe put him on Jimmy Butler for like a couple of possessions or so. You can be able to have him stretch the floor. You can be able to have him drive inside. And he's another scorer that you kind of need to be able to be there to get you uh, double figures or so and help take, like I said, the burden off of Kemba, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Yeah. I mean, Hayward was going to be my uh, X factor, but since he's injured for the Celtics, I'm going to go with Marcus Smart. If there was a most improved player in the playoffs, it would unanimously be Marcus Smart. He's made the all-defensive first team back-to-back years, which he's more than deserving of. Um, so his defense is, is a lock to make a difference. But what what I think is going to separate the Celtics and the Heat is going to be his offense. That'll be needed more than ever. Uh, like you said, that the Heat have defenders on defenders on defenders. So it's like you know that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba, who are going to be de- have the top defenders on him. So who's that next guy if Hayward isn't there? Um I, I think it's Marcus Smart. I think what he's been able to do uh, shooting-wise, he's taken a, the next step. And also now I think that is very underrated is his passing. He's actually been able to be a point guard for that second unit or even with that first unit as well too in crunch time as well when when uh, they had the best defender on Kemba Walker. Marcus Smart has been able to set picks for Kemba and roll off of them and catch and shoot. So I think Marcus Smart's definitely going to be the X factor for them. And for the Heat, I think it's going to be Bam Adebayo. Bam, he, he's got to make it tough on the Celtics bigs all series long. Uh, I think Ennis Cantor is probably going to be unplayable this series just because if he's played, then Bam will get a bucket at will against him. Um, and then you have two other guys who is going to be Daniel Thice, who is foul prone. He's fouled out three times this playoffs already, including game one in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and that's not to say he's a bad player, but he just, he's foul prone. Uh, he's averaging almost four fouls a game in the entire playoffs. So that just kind of goes to show. Um, and then the young Robert Williams, who personally I was very, very, very high on coming out of Texas A&M. Uh, I really liked him. I thought the Clippers should have got him with their second pick after they drafted uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, or they traded for Shea Gilgis Alexander and took Jerome Robinson instead. I thought Robin. Williams was the guy that they should have got because he reminded me a lot of DeAndre Jordan, just a little shorter DeAndre Jordan, but just the, his energe- energy and his athleticism reminded me of that. But I still think like he's small, but he's really athletic, but I still think Bam is too strong for him. And I think Bam will have to, uh, I think Bam will basically have to run the offense, or sorry, the Heat will have to run the offense through Bam. Um, and whether that's in the post, whether that's from pick and roll, uh he's a great passer so i think he's gonna have to carve up the celtics defense and because uh, they're gonna have to force to double team him in the post or you know on the pick and roll but the main thing i think 
is he's going to have to control the rebounds this game because with, with how evenly matched this series is, I think that it's going to come down to the second chance points. It's going to come to the points off of turnovers and it's going to come to the fast break points, which all of those are indicated by the rebound game. I mean, points off of turnover, not really, but um, fast break points and second chance points for sure. So I think rebounding is going to be a huge, huge key. And I think Bam is going to have to be that guy who controls the rebounding game all series long. And, if he does, then I, I think the Heat can do it. But let's talk about predictions, Corey. Who do you have and in how many games? I'm going to take the Celtics in seven in this one. I just feel like, like I, like I was saying, I feel like this is their opportunity to get to the NBA Finals for the first time. We talk about um, how with the Thunder, they were like this budding team when they had Westbrook, KD, Harden. And I think this is the same sort of situation with the Celtics. They have their that 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 same sort of uh, dynamic with Tatum, Brown, and uh, Kemba, who you know was the acquisition that they brought in. But I just feel like this is a a very much young team, and if they're able to get to the finals, not only does that do wonders for your confidence, but I think that fully justifies the fact that all those years, all those opportunities they had to trade for a Jimmy Butler, a Paul George and Anthony Davis, and weren't over and weren't able to get over the line and stocked up on all these draft picks and everybody was ridiculing them and ridiculing Danny Ainge and making fun of them. Like, Oh, you got all these draft picks, but you don't know what to do with them. And um, the fact that they couldn't get a deal uh, over the line with AD and, uh, couldn't you know secure anything like that I think finally that will be able to show like hey we didn't need to do it we created our own stars from within and yeah we we, we grabbed Kimba from uh, free agency but outside of that we created our own stars we created this team and built this team up organically and didn't need any uh, like we didn't need a whole lot of outside forces to 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 make this I'm team. gonna stop you right there. They needed the Nets in order okay, to create this okay, team. Okay, okay, okay. That's facts. That's facts. They needed the Nets front offense in order to create this team. <laughs> they needed the incompetency of the Nets. But but nah, for real though, like I just think that like seeing this this young team grow and go through the struggles that they've gone through, go through the ups and downs they've gone through, be on the training block at times and still remain on the squad shows wonders and just Danny Ainge if 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 Tatum and these cats get to the finals it, it, I was hearing that like there was only a few people uh, there was only like a few players that I think this one guy uh I can't think of his name but like this guy was saying on the radio he was like saying I would only trade Jason Tatum if it was for AD or Kawhi or uh Luka Doncic Outside of that, he wouldn't trade Tatum for anybody in the league right now. And I think that says wonders about the stock of Jason Tatum at the moment. I don't think he's wrong in that point just because I think Tatum's defense is so underrated. It goes kind of gets brushed under the rugs because of uh, his offense and the offensive weapons that the – I mean, sorry, the defensive weapons that they have in Marcus Smart. Um, but my, I'm going to go – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head your pick and I'm going to go Heat and seven. Uh, I just think that this Heat team has no weakness. And if anything, maybe height 
is their problem. But I think against the Celtics, that's not going to be a problem for them. I mean, look at them. They can shoot the three very well, can get to the rim, has multiple playmakers, has great perimeter defenders, can protect the rim, can rebound, has a closer in Jimmy Butler, and has great role players. So, I mean, really, when you look at it, like, they, they really are completely made up. And I think I'm not surprised that the Heat are in this position, but I just didn't think that they would be in this position of the Eastern Conference Finals because, I mean, I expected more from the Bucks, But just the fact that they're in this position, shout out to them. And I think since they've already ran through the Heat, they uh, ran through the Pacers. I think I don't I'm not going to say they ran through the Celtics, but I, I think it, they, they can definitely get the job done. I can see them going to the NBA Finals and playing either the Lakers or the Nuggets. So I, I have Heat in six. Um, and my main thing also why I'm picking the Heat is just because when you look at the Raptors series or the Celtics Raptors series, the Celtics gave up so many three-point looks to Van Fleet, to Siakam, to Ibaka, to Norman Powell, but the Raptors just couldn't make them pay. This Heat team, they're not the Raptors. They'll make you pay from three-point land. So they'll have to tidy up that defense if they want any chance to win. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's going to be a, a really tight series. And I think, like, you got two teams that ultimately it, it'll be by, like, a hair that I think one team will be able to go, get over the other. It's that close to me. Like, I, I don't really see, like, this being like, oh, one team is just better than the other one. I think that they are very even as far as – um the, the the lineups that they have, the stars that they have, um, the level of defense that they have. And I just think that it, it, it is going to come down to like, you know, the the little things, like you said, like fast break points, second chance points, rebounding, you know, things of that nature. Uh, Pat Riley said it best, you know, no, no boards, no rings. So, <laughs> so I think if, if whoever controls the glass and whoever is uh, winning the turnover battle is definitely going to be able to, go on and win this series but overall I, I think if it gets to seven it'll it'll be a situation that the Celtics are pretty much familiar with and they're going to be like okay here we go again another game seven and the Heat really if you think about it the Heat haven't been pushed that far into a series which I know like you know might not be a difference maker but it's a difference of only playing like four or five games uh instead of, you know, how deep the Celtics have had to play into this, uh, the postseason, which might be a, an advantage for the Heat because they're more maybe well-rested and the Celtics have tried to expend so much energy just to even get to this point. But I just think that the Celtics, if it gets to seven, then they have the advantage. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's move on. We got the NFL back. Cue the music. Great, great week one, full of up and downs. Great to see football back. Um, let's talk about some takeaways in the NFL. First of all, Washington football team and Jacksonville Jaguars won their first games when I had them both only winning one game all season. I don't know what I was on that night, but <laughs> I only had them winning one game, and their one game came uh, to life in, in on Sunday. And then you had the Lions with the ultimate choke. You had the Cardinals knocking off the NFC champions. 
the Rams controversial first one in their new stadium, which SoFi Stadium. I cannot wait to go there. That place looks beautiful. Goskowski being jinxed big time uh, with uh, Steve Levy calling him a Hall of Famer multiple times and then going on to miss three field goals. <laughs> and, and an extra point. And, oh, yeah, and an extra point, but he made the one that counted the most. Um, and then week one, I actually went to Vegas, took a trip down with uh, some of the guys at Milton Sports Corner. Go check them out. Um, and I was actually doing some sports bets, which, uh, I understand why sports bets gives people gray hairs and anxiety because I was me all weekend long. I was one game from hitting big on my first sports parlay. And, uh, game was it? it came down to the Sunday night game, the Rams versus Cowboys. I took the Who Cowboys money line. You took, took the Cowboys. I took the Cowboys. So I, I bet oh, the, oh, I bet oh. the bills spread minus six and a half that hit. I hit uh, Seahawks money line that hit. Mm-hmm. I took uh, the the Packers money line, which I still to this don't know how they were underdogs against the Vikings, but they were underdogs. So I took their money line, and then I was all up to that Cowboys Rams game, and uh, oh, it was a it was a good parlay too. I mean, it was it was a, I was I was going little, that's a great parlay. I was going a little lower on it, so I went twenty dollar parlay, but it was to win two hundred seventy dollars. So I mean. Bro, that would have been nice to take home for it sure. It definitely would have. I definitely would have been up in Vegas, but now I, I was down in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Vegas does to you, man. That is what Vegas does. You up, but then you really just be down. Yes, sir. And for you guys wondering, obviously, I know COVID's still going on. I got a COVID test, tested negative, so I'm good. We're all good over here. But, um, Corey, you have any takeaways from week one? Uh, just just want to obviously point out the fact that, like, uh, was really in, in, intrigued about the the all around um, and 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 just the display that all the players and the teams had as far as you know still mentioning about the social uh, injustice and police reform and things of that nature and just curious to see if it goes on throughout the entire course of the season and it you know if it hiccups or if it, or if there's any you know thing such as that. And then also just curious to see about COVID, obviously. Like, I know, like, we're all excited about football. We're all, you know, happy that football is back. But I'm just just hoping and praying that there's no spikes. There's no tremendous, uh, like, we get news that, like, a team has been, you know, hit heavily with COVID and they can't play or something like that. I'm just hoping I'm literally knocking on all the wood in my room right now. I'm knocking on all the wood. Yeah, I'm just hoping and praying that like we don't see any of that nature. But as far as what happened on the field, uh, was really really happy to see, um, the the Washington football team surprise everybody, and was happy to 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 see that. Even though I predicted the Eagles to win, I was thinking like, dang, can't believe the Eagles lost that. But then when I was thinking about, it, I was like, man. That's a win that, like, hey, Dwayne Haskins needed, Ron Rivera needed, that whole entire organization. After the offseason they've gone through, <laughs> I think they needed that. <laughs> I think they needed something like that to start out 1-0. They needed a big-time victory like that. So that I think that was, was big time for them. And then overall, I just think that um, one of the games that I was really looking forward to was Dolphins and – uh Patriots just to see what the Patriots were looking like and also remember Dolphins are are my surprise team that I have winning that division I have winning the I have them winning the AFC East and 
I thought the Dolphins were going to come out a little bit more up for that game and just come up a little bit short. And I think we might be seeing Tua start a little earlier than anticipated. Possibly, possibly, because Fitzpatrick going three interceptions in week one doesn't bold a whole lot of confidence. Uh, he's going to stay the starter uh, for the next – unless he has, like, you know, better performances in the upcoming games. But if he's playing like that, then, yeah, Tua's going to be up in that uh, starting position real soon, which I think personally is good, but we'll have to see how he plays. But overall, I was kind of disappointed with how the Dolphins came out. Was really glad that Cam Newton had the performance that he had. Didn't have a passing touchdown, but was able to get into the end zone twice through the legs and on the ground. And I just think that this is definitely a new Patriots team. This is not the same old Patriots Mm -hmm. team that we're going to see. And I think that while, yes, they did beat a division rival in the Dolphins, at the same time, I can see them struggling with the better teams around the league, especially defensively. I think we'll definitely see that week two. Because that was a shootout this. game. That was a yeah. shootout game against Miami. And I and I know, like, you know, division game, when it's a division game, anything can happen. But at the same time, you're talking about a team in the Dolphins that many are projecting to be, you know, winning less than five games this season. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you're the Patriots, yeah, you got the win, but that I was think a it'll struggle. be a it'll be a big test week two when they play the Seahawks. That's what I'm going to be keying on to see how they are able to respond to a team that is uh, considered a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our segment that we all love and we all hate at the same time. Like this shouldn't even have to be a segment on our show, but <laughs> let's get into it. It's our Are You Blind Call of the Week, Corey. I'll let you go first. Who is your Are You Blind Call of the Week? I got to start off with the referees that were calling that Detroit Lions-Bears game. Because how in the world did Jamie Collins get ejected for headbutting a ref when all he was doing was trying to show the referee, like, hey, this is what was happening. And he slightly, slightly brushed up, touched the referee. And as soon as that happened, he's like, oh, you're ejected. You're ejected, flag. You're ejected. And Jamie Collins is holding his hands out like, come on, dog, really? And I'm just thinking, like, why is it that when the slightest thing that a player does when they're trying to have a conversation with the referee, that anything that they could do or, or, or whether it's what they say, whether it's their action, the slightest thing could just set the referee off and they could just – be like, oh, you're ejected, or oh, in the NBA, oh, you got a technical foul, or something like that. And it's just like, I was trying to talk to you. It's called, it's called ego. It's, it's called like, ego understand. that these refs have, and they cannot let go. This has been a problem, like you. Not said, even a NBA. warning or nothing. It's just, oh, touch them, goodbye. It's like, yeah, dang, dude. Like I was trying to show you w- what was going on with the play, and you just was like, nah. You're out of there. So I well, it's because refs always hold themselves on a pedestal and look down upon players, and I think they know that they can get away with murder and literally don't get fined, don't get that. And he, they know clown ass Al Riveron is gonna have their back no matter what. He's not gonna say, "Oh, the refs are wrong," because Al Riveron's an idiot and just doesn't do that. So I just think that the refs literally get away with murder, and it showed right there that literally swung the whole game. All right, my Are You Blind call of the week. I'm going to go with the game that screwed me my parlay over. <laughs> I should 
I should call it the controversial play of the week. Um, it's going to go to Michael Gallup and his offensive passing interference call. Um, there's two, there was two, are you blind call of the weeks that could have gone this week. So, um, they kind of offset each other out, but this one, I mean, Cowboys were down three points last minute to Dak Prescott and Dak finally made a play and threw a long bomb to Michael Gallup. Cause he was struggling all game long. Um, he caught it. He was tackled at the 19 yard line. Well, within field goal range to tie the game. But after the catch, there was a flag thrown for offensive PIs. As official said, Gallup had extended his arm and pushed off. In real time, it looked like it was a right call, but on replay, you can clearly see Ramsey, you know, selling the call. It was performance from Jalen Ramsey. One hundred percent. Um, I mean, you can see the arm extension, but there's no real clear push off. And that's why I think it should have been a call. It was a lot of just hand fighting, which is typical on your deep ball that is thrown. Um, my problem is if you have the luxury of reviewing the call the last two minutes, why don't you? It just baffles me. I mean, although I'm excited for the football season to return, NFL season is back. I am so disappointed at the inconsistency of the officiating and clown ass Al Riveron sitting on his throne and not admitting his wrongs. That is my problem with NFL refs. I mean, this play was 100% a makeup call for the, the miss Jared Goff roughing the passer where Alden Smith hit his face mask, which led to a Jared Goff uh, throwing interception. I get it. But after this play, the Cowboys had two incompletes and turned the ball over on downs and the Rams won. And I mean, the Cowboys, the way they played, didn't deserve to win that game, but you cannot let a game be decided on a bad penalty. I don't care what it is, whether it's a makeup call, whatever the case may be, you cannot let the, you cannot decide the fate of a game off of a penalty. And that that's just where, I, that's why I'm happy this segment's back, but I'm also bad this segment is back because that means there's still bad officiating in these sports that we are talking about. The funny thing is, though, uh, we talk about that play, but um, I think where that play was made right was in the Chargers game against the Bengals, where A.J. Green slightly pushes off of Casey Hayward and catches it in the end zone. It looks like, looks like the Bengals are going to win, but... He- even then, Casey Hayward definitely sold that call because if you look at the 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 front judge who was right was looking at the play the whole time. It was the back judge who called the play, and his uh, his and Casey Hayward what had his back towards him. So Casey Hayward definitely, um, definitely sold the call. I didn't even think AJ Green needed to push off. I think he had enough separation. That's what, th- that's what my thing was. He yeah, didn't need to push off. He he really did it. And it, what a crazy thing we would have been talking about about the rookie getting his first win, first win. in week one. But yeah, that penalty this, was though, like as far as like you know go, going back to the takeaways real really quick, really quick. Do you feel like Joe Burrow got let down by the Bengals in that situation, or the the, the Chargers were just able to hang on? For the win there i think charges were just able to hang on i don't think you know the Bengals really let him down well because historically i think only three like number one picks in the draft have won their week one matchup and i think it goes the last one was david carr with the texans um so i i, I don't historically Rookie quarterbacks are not supposed to be successful, and you can see why because there's a drastic jump, and especially with no rookie training camp. But with this Bengals, I mean, I think just struggling to have a good offensive line is going to be a huge thing for the Bengals. And I think the Chargers' defense is very underrated. But my biggest thing takeaway from that Chargers was their offense. I mean, Tyrod and 
just that. And what did I say? The reason why I had him going five and 11 is because that offensive line is made of glass. What happens? Their freaking right tackle literally snapped his ankle and now he's out for the season. So yeah, it's bad. They're just cursed over there with injuries. It's sad to be a Chargers fan. Yeah. And I just felt like outside of the one mistake that he made when when trying to shuffle the ball to Chiefani, but I don't know what the hell he was doing. I don't know what he was doing there, but Hey, he, he tried it. He tried to do a Reggie Bush, tried to just throw the ball and hope somebody go get it. It was so funny (laughs) that like when we were in Vegas, all of us, I think, every single one of us had the Cowboys money line that game. So we were all rooting for the Cowboys, which will probably be the only time I ever root for the Cowboys. <laughs> but um, and the we were really, on, they let you down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, we were all rooting. We're like, Hey golf, can you just have one of those Joe Burrow passes or you just flip it for an interception? <laughs> we're like, we were all looking at each other. We're like, we know you're more than capable of doing that. But, so he was like, just help us out. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what he was thinking, but overall, I felt like he played he played reasonably well enough to win the game. I felt, and I felt, had he got that touchdown at the end, or had that game gone to overtime, I felt he gets that win because I just felt like the Chargers were falling apart at the seams. And just looking at the way he got them down the field, got them in good position, got them in field goal range. And Randy Bullock said, not so fast, bro. Not so fast. I'm about to pull Miami real quick. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I'll, and here's my thing. I, I, I'm not saying that he faked this, and, 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 and I'm hoping that he actually did have a hamstring injury. But I felt low-key, like, when he missed it, he started grabbing at his hammy, like, oh, shit. Dude, after, oh. after he saw a hook right, he then he grabbed it. He didn't grab that shit immediately after he kicked it. So, <laughs> sus. I mean. it, it's sus for me. Uh, like Burrow's looking on the sideline, like you, you, why I oughta, I ought yeah. smack you. Flashes, flashes of Blair Walsh right there with the Vikings. Oh man! All right, let's get into our biggest surprise and our biggest disappointments of Week One. Let's start off with our biggest surprises. I had the Jaguars. I mean, the team that I said was going to be tanking for Trevor Lawrence looked good. First off, I am going to apologize for you know knocking them off. Um, I told you, mean shoe mania, mean shoe yeah. magic, bro. Well, the, thing- the organization might be tanking, but mean shoes like, nah, we not tanking, bro. We're yeah. not tanking. Uh, but the thing is, I don't know if the Jags look good or the Colts just looked bad. I that think it was a little bit of both. I think it was a little bit of both. So, because I'm not gonna knock the Jaguars. First of all, like you said, Gardner Minshew mania. 19 for 20, 95 percent of his passes, 173 yards and three touchdowns. He played mistake-free football, and he actually became the first QB in NFL history to throw for at least three touchdowns and complete 95 percent of his passes on kickoff weekend. So, I mean, shout out to Minshew Mania, um, and then James Robinson showing flashes as a starting potential running back and was the only running back to receive any attempts. Uh, you saw this cold start to stack the box against him and Minshew kind of took advantage of that. And then I don't know if you saw that leapfrog play where he hurdled that guy and then continued to run for like another 10, 15 yards. It was incredible. Um, but this Jaguars defense, especially their secondary, tightened up and forced old man Phillip Rivers to make tough throws, uh, two throws resulting in turnovers. You had the turnover on down and then the interception. Granted, T.Y. Hilton should have made two catches um, that were very crucial. But, yeah, that, that that Colts offense didn't look too good. And then 
Um, you had the rookie wide receiver, LaVisca Chenault, so versatile and is a weapon for Doug Maroney and Jay Gruden. Um, overall, I think the offense did a great job sharing the ball. Ten different players had receptions. Think about that. It's insane. Out of the 19 passes that were thrown, ten were two different players. So shout out to the Jaguars, and I, I, I'll apologize. Corey, who's your biggest surprise week one? Well, before we get into that, I just have to – I remember Jeremy – saying in our fantasy episode he was talking about how um picking up uh, jonathan taylor might you know be worth the risk and boy oh boy is that worth the risk to doing was that worth the risk to doing fantasy because man uh marlon mack season ending injury crazy man that's tough yeah that's uh, tough. hope he gets better uh but wow jonathan taylor He's going to get a whole lot more touches right now Mm -hmm. with him going down with that injury. But my team I got to go with is the team that I felt was doomed to fail this year, even though I had them surprise, surprise, winning five games. I just felt like the Washington football team, you want to talk about everything was going against them from literally the moment Ron Rivera stepped in to this uh, team like you had the situation with their their team name and their, their their scrutiny and and then like the one good thing that I felt like they had going for them was the fact that Alex Smith was coming back and I was that was like the only good story good news that they had but everything else just felt really negative oh and also like them uh picking up um uh Chase uh, Chase Young Chase Young in the draft like those were the only good things that I felt like they had going for them but besides that, I felt like, man, this is this will probably be a tough year, um, no cap. But overall, to to on game one be trailing by seventeen against a rival a- NFC East opponent in the Eagles, and not only come back but go on to win the game in convincing fashion, I mean, that's a huge boost to confidence for Dwayne Haskins. A huge boost of confidence for Ron Rivera and just overall that defense really really gave uh Carson Wentz a difficult time sacked him eight times that game forced a fumble and an interception I'm like bro that that defense was looking just dominant I know not it's only a, one but they were looking crazy 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 good from the not game. a knock against the defense of that defensive line that pass rush but I will say the Eagles are missing three of their starting offensive linemen. They're missing their left tacker, tackle and Andre Dillard, missing Jason Peters – or sorry, not Jason Peters, miss, missing Brandon Brooks and missing their probably their best lineman in Lane Johnson right there. So, I mean, obviously you don't have to, those three guys. <laughs> it's going to be tough. So, that's why the eight sacks. But, yeah, football team definitely – uh, surprised me going on a 27 0 run, which is <laughs> just insane to say in football. Kind of, I mean, I think I've only well, heard of something scared. like that. I've only heard of something like that. I think when the Giants and uh Eagles played each other, when Deshaun Jackson had the walk off punt return touchdown, right? Right, right. Other than that, I you never hear anything of like that sort, so yeah, it's kind of crazy. That's like something you see in the NBA, like a 27, <laughs> just unanswered, like out of yeah. nowhere, like a crazy run or something like that. But you don't ever really see that in like the NFL. It's like, that's just crazy. That from down 17 to be up by 10, that's mm-hmm. amazing. But um, another thing I have to say is like the NFC is confusing, at least week for me, week one. 
So get this right. I had the 49ers beating the Cardinals. That didn't turn out. I had the Falcons beating the Seahawks. That didn't turn out. And I had the, the Vikings beating the Packers. That didn't turn out. Like, pretty much half, like, the only thing I had go right for me, I think, with the NFC for week one was Rams beating the Cowboys. Outside of that, I was terrible at predicting week God one. God damn it, Corey. I needed you to be wrong on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, other, yeah, that was, like, that was, like, a crazy, crazy, crazy week for me because I was, like, I was thinking that uh, some of these games would pop for me, but, like, nah. Oh, yeah, I also had the Lions beating the Bears, which we'll get into a little bit later. But the only games that I had go right is the Rams beating the uh, the Cowboys, and I had the Saints beating the, the, the Buccaneers, which, ooh, tough, tough, tough time for Tom Brady. Yeah, 100%. But, yeah, let's get into our biggest disappointment week one. Corey, I'll let you go first. Talk about your team. Biggest disappointment week one, I think, has to be the Detroit Lions. I mean, not only do they lose the game, but they allowed Mitchell Trubisky to look like a stud. We really allowed Mitchell Trubisky to have his, 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 have his like superstar moment on you. And then you have a chance to win the game late after all the blunders you had in the game. Stafford, fine, swift, rookie, looking to make – his first marquee moment in the league, and he just drops it. He just drops the wide open pass in the back of the end zone. And I'm just like, that's that's the Detroit Lions summed up right there. I mean, you got to feel for DeAndre Swift right there. I mean, it's his first game, but mm-hmm. he's such a good receiving back. That's one of the reasons why they brought him into Detroit, <laughs> and the guy drops the ball. It's just – He drops the ball. The, the spotlight was too big and he couldn't shine in it. So I mean, if, if you're a Lions fan, to catch it. He wasn't swift enough to catch it. Oh, that's a good one. Um, but I, if you're a Lions fan, no need to worry. Obviously, you dropped the game to the Bears to a division rival. But for DeAndre Swift perspective, like don't don't worry about it. He's still gonna ball for you guys, especially when you have Glassman, Carryon Johnson in the backfield, and then you have Old Man Adrian Peterson, still finds his way to get it done somehow, some way. I I, I don't know how he does it, but he does. <laughs> um, my biggest disappointment is gonna be the Browns. Uh, lost thirty eight to six to my Ravens. I mean, I had high hopes for them. But after that game, sheesh. I mean, I know I know the Ravens have a good defense, but damn, the Browns made them look like the best defense in the league. I mean, which is they are capable of doing it. But even me, myself, as a Ravens fan, I did not expect them to look that great in week one. And you can say this is Kevin Stefanski's first game with his new team. But damn, I mean, with the amount of weapons you have, six I'd point? expect you to put more than six <laughs> points on the board. Six like, point. come on, man. Especially when the other team gives you 38. <laughs> like, come on, man. Um, and, I mean, Odell Beckham Jr., he was absolute shit. No pun intended. <laughs> actually. That's going to be a running joke the entire season. Pun fully intended. This dude does nothing. It's just going to be like, oh, well, Odell played like crap today. Uh, we know why. <laughs> right. Um. 10 targets, only three receptions. I, I think the guy's better at catching one hand than with two hands. Um, and, and if you look at me, like he was on the Hall of Fame path with his numbers he was putting up in New York. But in Cleveland, I mean, I don't even know if you can say that anymore. Like it's, yeah, it's like looking one, bad. One great game 
that the only great game I can remember him having was like he went off against the Jets, which really isn't saying a whole lot. Right. Jets. But at the end of the day, like if that's your one thing that you've done so far in your career with the Browns is just go off against the Jets. Yeah, that, that trade is that trade is looking like the Giants might have been able to come away with something there. Yeah. Um, and then Baker Mayfield, I just think Baker is so overrated. Um, and I think that's also why they brought in Case Keenum, just in case that's the backup. Mm, quarterback controversy in Cleveland? I mean, at what point? I mean, if, if Baker continues to play like this, at what point do you have to pull the plug and say, like, all right, can't do it anymore? Like, I mean, granted, I feel bad for the guy. He's had four head coaches in his mm-hmm. three years in Cleveland. But still, like, you were taking number one overall for a reason. Come on, guy. Um, he went 21 for 39. 189 yards, one touchdowns, and one pick. And his one pick came on literally the first possession of the Browns season. So only bright spot for this Browns team, you could say, is their run game looked decent, which I think a lot of people expected. Both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb had over five and a half yards per carry. So that's good. Um, I think Stefanski is going to have to ride this run attack for from their duo if they want to be successful. But if they're down like they were Sunday, I mean, you have to pass the ball. You can't just run the ball the whole time. So they can't dig themselves in a hole deep and uh, expect to run the ball a lot as well. Yeah, the other thing I'll say about the Browns is that uh, as far as bright spots go, I mean, they signed Cody Parkey, so they have no worries whatsoever as far as kickers go. They got the greatest kicker of all time. Just ask Bears fans. Like Double doink. <laughs> Cody Parkey, I'm like, yo, there you go right there. Kicking worries, don't got to worry about them. All right, let's get into the last segment. We got, we're bringing back the nosebleeds game of the week. Um, let's talk about week two game of the week. We got the Vikings versus the Colts. Vikings coming off a brutal 43 to 34 loss against the Packers, where Aaron Rodgers looked like he turned back the clock and looked like he's Aaron Rodgers. And the guy, and the guy who I was criticizing as far as fantasy picks, Devontae Adams, what did he do? He had a mm-hmm. game. He went off. He shut me all the way up. Yeah, that's why I didn't take it. That's why I questioned you. I didn't take your advice. I drafted him and it worked <laughs> out. Like, I'm not listening to this guy. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. Um, he had one bad season. Watch him go off. <laughs> Um, and then you have the Colts coming off an even more brutal loss, 27 to 20 against the Jags. Coming into this game, the Colts are three-point favorites as of right now. Uh, Corey, let's hear you. What you got on this game? So going based off my prediction, I, I'm going to rock out with the Colts here. I feel like game number two, um, the, the first game I think was – kind of like the the Colts are kind of figuring it out. You know what I mean? Like they were trying to figure out themselves and try to figure out the offense and trying to, to, to kind of figure, figure out where, where they're going to hang their hat. And I think where they're going to have to hang their hat is in the run game because you can't rely on Phillip rivers and you can't put that pressure or that burden on Phillip rivers to, to have to go out and win you games because this dude will just chuck it up and blindly chuck it up, if I might add. So if they establish their run game, and I'm interested to see what Nahi Mines and what Jonathan Taylor are able to do as maybe like a little dynamic run duo. And uh, if they're able to do that, that's going to do wonders for them if they're able to set that up. And it's going to take a whole lot of pressure off of Phillip Rivers, and then he could finally kind of 
you know, maybe do some play action and maybe find some guys um, like, like T.Y. Hilton and be able to get that offense a little bit more going instead of like how it was in week one. And as far as the Vikings go, uh, tough loss as far as the opening uh, game of the season, but I don't think it gets in, it doesn't get any easier for them. I think it's going to be a, a tough road for uh, Kirk Cousins in this Vikings ball club. And that was one of the reasons why I was not too high on them this season. So my biggest thing that I took away from the Vikings Packers game is the Vikings offense in the first half was based solely on the run. Cousins only passed it five times in the first half and at the end of three quarters was seven for 11 and a hundred yards and interceptions, which is crazy. So most of his stats came in garbage time in the fourth quarter, but the Colts look like they couldn't even stop James Robinson, a rookie running back for the Jaguars. What do you think they're going to do against a run heavy Vikings offense on the coattails of Dalvin cook? So I, I, I think And also Rivers, on the other hand, had a crazy day with his 46 pass attempts, went 36 for 46, went 78 percent. He had 363 yards, one touchdowns, but two interceptions. I have no faith in Phillip Rivers. He has no excuse now because he has the best offensive line in the league, not bad receivers, and he has a good running back attack behind him as well. But like you mentioned, obviously, the devastating use of Marlon Mack and he's going to be out with a torn Achilles it's Jonathan Taylor time in Indy and I think he showed flashes of big plays as a running back in week one and I think him and Naheem Hines will split the workload I think Taylor will probably be receiving at least 60 percent of the touches so um, with that being said I, I think the Vikings are going to go are going to win the game just because I think on their run heavy offense they'll get the job done I don't trust Phillip the Colts secondary got carved up by Minshew and Dalvin Cook's basically going to have a few. So that's why I have Vikings winning this game. We'll post a poll on our Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you guys check it out. But um, yeah, that's going to wrap it up. This uh, devastating, devastating episode. This is actually the 58th episode. So this is a milestone, but it's sad that this was the milestone episodes where I had to talk about my, uh, Clippers absolutely crumbling, but um, just yeah, before just we... this episode, pain, yeah, pain, <laughs> pain. But um, before before we sign off, I just want to you know thank Corey and just thank this opportunity to you know come up on the nosebleeds and kind of vent because definitely after talking about the Clippers, I do feel like it's a lot big weight off my chest because Matt, if nosebleeds if, is therapy, nosebleeds it is, is therapy, it really is therapy, and um. Yeah, honestly, if you guys would have seen me yesterday, even before the game started, like I had, I didn't have faith in the Clippers. Like I literally, my hand was shaking the whole time. My heart was racing throughout the game. And then my heart just sunk to my feet after the loss. And I literally was just in disbelief for a good hour. Uh, kind of felt like, uh, like, I don't think I've felt this feeling since I think when I heard the news of Kobe passing away, where I was just like, in just such disbelief. Like, I just couldn't believe that this was really happening and the repercussions of what's going to happening. But, I mean, the fact that I got to talk about it, vent about the Clippers, um, really appreciate this podcast and uh, maybe take it for granted sometimes. But, you know, it's good stuff. Like Corey said, it's very, very therapeutic. So, yeah. Corey, any last words? So looking forward to see what happens in week two of the NFL. Um, Intrigued to see if the run continues for the Nuggets and 
cannot wait to see the rest of the way of this Eastern Conference Finals because I think that is going to be a bloodbath. Those teams might kill each other for real. Yeah, it's going to be very, very fun to watch. Um, If you guys aren't following us on social media, I don't know what you're doing because you got to vote on this week two game of the week. So get on social media, on Twitter, at the underscore nosebleeds, Instagram, the nosebleeds, uh, on Facebook, the nosebleeds podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. And on that, we out. Deuces.